Australia's military history is more than just a collection of dates and the locations of war-ravaged battlefields. It is the stories of service and sacrifice of those who have answered the call of their country of birth or adoption and the enduring legacy they have created. Join me as we look into one of those stories. I'm your host, Ross Manuel, and welcome to I Was Only Doing My Job, Australia's Military History, a Doc Network podcast. Now let's get started. David Austral Twining was born near Ballarat on the 19th of November 1895 to Australian English parents. His early life was spent travelling between Johannesburg, South Africa, Melbourne and Elmhurst, Victoria, and with the outbreak of the Anglo-Boer War, his father, David Senior, enlisted in the Rand Rifles, a unit tasked with guarding the gold mines around Johannesburg. His mother would return to Australia with their children in September 1903, while David Jr. was seven years old with the family's belief that his education should take place in Australia. He was an avid sportsman and dedicated student participating in school cricket and football and was both Ducks and head boy of the school at the ages of 10 and 12 respectively. He would also regularly perform at local Steadfords. When his original school, Grenfell College, closed in 1911, he finished his schooling at the Ballarat Church of England Grammar School, graduating in 1912 and commenced studying in civil engineering. Eventually, he moved to Kalgoorlie in Western Australia to work on the construction of the Trans-Australian Railway Line. He also followed in his father's footsteps with a career in the military, serving as a second lieutenant in the Ballarat School Cadet Company and held a commission within the Citizens' Military Forces. He had been working on the section connecting Port Augusta and Kalgoorlie when he received word that his father died on the 30th of March 1914. Just over a year later, on the 19th of June 1915, as war had been declared, David Twining, still only 19 years and 6 months old, presented himself to the Kalgoorlie Recruitment Depot to enlist in the Australian Imperial Force. In his hand, a wired consent form from his mother. This was a requirement at the time as the AIF required parental consent for all recruits under the age of 21, which was the age majority at the time. Despite his work on the railways, he listed his occupation as student. He was apparently a strongly built man, slightly shorter than both Bull Allen and John Hines at a modest 5 feet 8 and a half inches, He was still what was considered at the time the average height of the Australian men of the era and the minimum height in which to enlist in the Australian Imperial Force. Two days later, he passed his medical evaluation and arrived at the Black Boy Hill camp to complete his formal attestation to the AIF. He was posted to the 8th allocation of reinforcements to the 16th Infantry Battalion. There is a degree of confusion about what a reinforcements allocation represented, and this system was modelled on a much older British system where military units were raised, equipped, and reinforced from localised geographical locations, and all recruits would train locally and then be assigned to replace battle casualties or if the unit was expanded piecemeal. Any recruit that enlisted after the initial allocation of soldiers to a battalion or unit was assigned to a reinforcements allocation based on the date of their intake. For example, Twining was part of the 8th group of recruits to join the 16th Battalion's depot. With the industrial horror that came from the World Wars and the need for reinforcements becoming disproportional to the amount of enlistments, these allocations became a piecemeal resource that could be drawn on by whoever needed more men. With reinforcements being able to be allocated by individual soldiers, platoons, sections, or even entire companies. Having completed initial training, he provisionally rose to the ranks, first as a lance corporal, then as a sergeant on the 10th of August. He embarked for overseas service on the 2nd of September aboard the HMAT A68 Anchises, bound initially for Egypt and then on to Lemnos, arriving in Mudros Harbour on the 23rd of October. He would officially be taken on strength as a member of the 16th Battalion and would return to his proper rank of private, though he wouldn't stay at that rank for long. Twining would be promoted to the rank of Lamb's Corporal once again on the 9th of November while on Gallipoli. 
His time on the peninsula would be short, as the evacuation would take place soon after his arrival, and Twining was one of the first to return to Alexandria, arriving there on the 30th of December. In February 1916, Twining came into contact with a soldier who fell ill of cerebrospinal meningitis, or an acute inflammation of the protective membranes covering the brain and spinal cord, and was admitted to hospital for two days as a precaution. Thankfully, he didn't contract this life-threatening disease, which is still untreatable. At this point in the war, the Australian Imperial Force underwent a period of expansion and retraining, where the existing two Australian divisions were doubled, with each battalion gaining a sister battalion comprised partly of Gallipoli veterans and fresh recruits from Australia, the intent being that the veterans would train up the replacements and impart the lessons gained from the campaign. In response to this, the 48th Battalion was raised on the 16th of March 1916 under Lieutenant Colonel Raymond Lean, and David Twining would join the Joan of Arc Battalion, named such due to the number of the Lieutenant Colonel's family who would be within its ranks, prompting the quip that the 48th was, quote, made of all leans, unquote. On the 2nd of June, the 48th departed Egypt for the Western Front. Whilst the crossing to Marseille was uneventful, conditions on board the ship were less than ideal, with overcrowding and poor food both causing issues. Twining had, by this time, been promoted once again to the rank of sergeant, and he was soon to prove his worth as a strong and capable leader within the unit. The 48th Battalion arrived in Albert on the Somme in the beginning of August, and then moved almost immediately into the frontline trenches in preparation for the attack on Pozières as part of the second phase of Britain's larger Somme offensive. Australian troops had already participated in the capture of Fromel the week before, which was the debut of the Australian Imperial Force in the Western Front campaign. The 48th was tasked with defending gains captured by the Australian 2nd Division, and Twining was assigned as a sergeant of the 48th Battalion's scout platoon, which occupied positions beyond the front line. As the capture of Pozières was the only success of this phase that would become the first Somme offensive, it became the focus of intense German counterattacks and artillery barrages. In one of these, the 48th Battalion endured what is said to be the heaviest artillery barrage ever experienced by Australian troops, with just over half of the battalion's 1,000-man complement becoming listed as casualties. It is in one of these counterattacks on the afternoon on the 5th of August that Twining's patrol leader was wounded and he took charge, organising positions and set up approximately 50 yards from the geographical location known as the Windmill, an elevation northwest of the town of Poissiers that dominated the surrounding countryside and was vital for sighting artillery for both sides. He organised patrols along the front line between the windmill and the Bapon Road and reconnoitred the mill. He remained in his position the whole time from the night of the 5th and 6th of August until about 10am on the 7th. During a German counter-attack on the morning of the 7th of August, he was able to bring flanking fire onto the attacking infantry and was instrumental in repelling an attack that had already overrun other Australian positions on the front, including a number of the 48th Battalion's other outposts. By about 10am on August 7th, Twining was the only unwounded man of the patrol. Back at battalion headquarters, Lieutenant Colonel Lean, who had no idea that his scouts were in such an isolated position, was astonished to receive a message by way of a walking wounded soldier from Twining that stated, quote, I am the only one left. Do you want me to hold this position? Unquote. And immediately ordered him in, but Twining was wounded afterwards in an attempt to bring back other wounded comrades. In an interview Twining made after the war, when asked about the defense of Pozières, he stated, quote, after the first 12 hours, we took off our putties or leg wraps and used them to bandage the wounded. By the end of the 24 hours, most of us had our coats off and were trying to use them on the wounded, unquote. He was evacuated to the 4th General Hospital at Kemers, suffering a relatively minor wound to his left arm. 
Because of the costly nature of the defense of Hozier, and that more Australians were killed in the two days of fighting than in the entirety of the Gallipoli campaign, this prompted Australia's official war correspondent and historian, Charles Bean, to write that the site, quote, marked a ridge more densely sown with Australian sacrifice than any other place on Earth, unquote, and pushed the Australian government to purchase the land where the windmill previously stood. This piece of land would go on to become the site for numerous memorials for the Australian Imperial Force, and it was from here that the soil was collected for the internment of the unknown Australian soldier in 1993 at the Australian War Memorial. For his actions in the defence of the windmill, Twining would receive a Batterfield commission to second lieutenant, and he cabled his mother while still in hospital. He had also been recommended for the Distinguished Conduct Medal, but this was unexpectedly downgraded to the Military Medal. Charles Bean was so impressed by the young soldier's conduct that he later featured him in the setting of the Poziers diorama that was commissioned for the Australian War Memorial. Fortunately, the wound healed quickly, and on the 14th of August, Twining was transferred to a convalescent camp and then rejoined his battalion in billets at Harasat on the 5th of September, where he would serve for a period as the battalion's intelligence officer. News of his military medal was received on the 4th of October when the 48th was at Ridgewood near Vormazel in Belgium. It was wet and miserable, but the battalion had a raid on the salient plan, so it was business as usual for David Twining. When the battalion's adjutant, another member of the Lean family, left on leave to England on the 11th of October, Twining was appointed acting adjutant in his stead. The following day, he received his second pip when he was promoted to full lieutenant. At the time, he was said to be the youngest officer in the 48th Battalion. 1917 was to prove a pivotal year for David Twining, one that saw him progress from his achievements at Pozier to become one of the best officers in the 48th Battalion. His constant gallantry in the field saw him mentioned in dispatches on several occasions. The recommendations bear reading in order to understand the nature of this remarkable young officer. On the 5th of March 1917, he was mentioned, quote, for consistent good work and devotion to duty ever since the battalion has been formed. As adjutant of the battalion, he has proved of immense value, always at his post hardworking and reliable. He sets a splendid example by his soldiery bearing and cheerful manner to all those who come into contact with him, unquote. This recommendation was submitted by his commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Raymond L. Lean, DSOMC. General Douglas Haig's dispatch on the 9th of April made special mention of David Twining for his, quote, great devotion to duty and consistent good work throughout recent operations, unquote. The mention of dispatches also recommended him for a captaincy. This promotion became a reality on the 10th of July, after Captain Joseph Meyersbeth was killed in action in Messine on the 12th of June. In sending home news of his mention in dispatches to his mother, Twining also included a card from Major General Holmes, CMG DSOVE, commanding officer of the 4th Australian Division. This contained congratulations for his gallantry and devotion to duty during April 1916. Lieutenant Colonel Lean again recommended Twining for a mention in dispatches on the 20th September for, quote, for gallant conduct and consistent good work and devotion to duty during the past six months. Captain Twining is extremely loyal, energetic, and tireless in his efforts to maintain a high standard of efficiency in the battalion. As adjutant, he has proved very valuable. Always at his post, he can be relied on no matter how dangerous the conditions to carry out any tasks set him, unquote. This was seconded by Haig's dispatch on the 7th of November for, quote, his devotion to duty, unquote, from the 26th of February to the 20th of September, 1917. This was immediately followed by a further mention for work carried out during the period of the 23rd of September, 1917, until the 25th of February, 1918. Obviously, seeing so many young men being killed and mutilated around him must have had some bearing on David Twining, making the decision to gift the 1917 prize to the ducks of his old school in Ballarat. 
During the spring of 1918, the 48th Battalion played a critical role in blocking the main road to Amiens when the Germans launched their last great offensive. In the 5th of April 1918, the 48th Battalion was in action near Albert. As the men came under heavy attack, Twining briefly took command of a rifle company and repeatedly exposed himself to hostile fire as he supervised the movements ordered by battalion headquarters. When it became necessary for the men to withdraw, he coordinated the operation. Brigadier General John Gellibrand, in recommending David Twining for the Military Cross, noted that, quote, his coolness in action was as conspicuous in this as in all previous actions of his battalion, unquote. For David Twining, the possibility for further military honours must have seemed unimportant alongside the painful task he had to do in writing the families of men who had died alongside him that day. For his actions in the Albert sector, Twining received a special communique from the Corps Commander, General John Monash, for, quote, gallant conduct displayed during the enemy attack on April 5th, 1918, unquote. In July, Clara Twining received word that from her son that he'd been awarded the French Croix de Guerre. He apparently made a particular reference to being, quote, pleased for the sake of his old school that he's been awarded his decorations, unquote. Further fighting near Proyat in August 1918 as part of the Battle of Amiens saw Twining once again in the very thick of it. When part of the assaulting line was held up by intense machine gun fire, he led a party forward and worked around the flanks of the enemy held position. A successful capture of the machine gun nests and several prisoners prevented the further casualties of the 48th. He was sent on leave to England on the 3rd of September, and upon returning, he was attached to duty in an advisory capacity as an operations officer with the 107th New York Regiment, American Army, on the 24th of September. The following day, he received word of a second recommendation for the Military Cross had been awarded. The citation read, quote, For his indomitable courage and devotion to duty during the advance on Proyat on the 8th of August, 1918, Captain D.A. Twining, M.M., seeing portion of the assaulting line held up by enemy machine gun position, still holding out in the final objective, went forward under very heavy machine gun and rifle fire, reorganized the men, and worked around the flanks to the enemy. He then rushed the post from the rear, capturing the gun and seven of the enemy. This party of the enemy held a very commanding position and was considerably hampering the troops to the flank. It is due to Captain Twining's skill and fine example that a large number of casualties were avoided. Captain Twining's work throughout the whole operation displayed an untiring energy and utter disregard for personal safety. His example to the men assisted materially in maintaining their untiring energy and interest, unquote. The award of the Military Cross was confirmed by Major General E.G. Sinclair McClagan, commander of the 4th Australian Division. Sinclair McClagan then took it upon himself to send a card of congratulations to the young man's mother, remarking especially on Twining's, quote, gallantry, coolness, and invaluable work when in action, unquote. When the 48th Battalion took part in the fight to seize the Hindenburg outpost line between 18 and 20th September, it would be the unit's last action of the war. David Twining returned to England in early 1919 to await repatriation to Australia. The 48th Battalion was disbanded on the 31st of March and Twining embarked home two weeks later as adjutant aboard the transport ship Commonwealth. Returning to civilian life was probably going to be more difficult for a young man who had forged himself in the heat of battle, and Twining certainly did attempt to resume his pre-war career, but this only lasted a few months. After his appointment to the Australian Imperial Force was terminated on the 1st of August 1919, Twining successfully passed the entrance examination for the Royal Military College Duntroon and entered the college as a thoroughly overqualified, quote, special cut staff cadet, unquote. Graduating as a lieutenant in 1921, Twining took his first appointment in the Citizens Forces as adjutant to the 6th Battalion Melbourne City Regiment. 
From professional to personal, Twining's life seemed to be blossoming. On the 20th of September 1922, he married Phyllis Margaret Madge Wise. The following year, the couple welcomed their first child, Jessica Phyllis Clare, and Twining continued his work with the Citizens Forces, and in April 1923, he was in charge of the detention camp at Broadmeadows for members who had neglected to perform the prescribed number of drills during the year or had failed to attend the annual camp. He was categorized as firm but fair and was known for his cheery disposition and was generally well-liked. In June, Twining was also appointed a staff captain of the 3rd Infantry Brigade in South Australia, resuming his association with former battalion commanding officer Raymond Lean, now a Brigadier General. By November 1925, Twining had been promoted to Brigade Major. He was one of the youngest staff corps officers in South Australia, but his natural ability and perseverance resulted in him achieving well beyond his years. His concern for the welfare of his men was something that added to his popularity. In September 1926, Twining had been chosen to head to India as part of a two-year attachment to units of the British and Indian armies, as was the custom at the time. After returning to Australia, the Twinings welcomed the arrival of their second child, John Raymond David, who was born in Elmhurst on the 13th of August 1928. Continuing to pursue his military career, Twining returned once again to Keswick Barracks in South Australia, this time as adjutant of the 27th Battalion. Twining's position as a highly decorated officer afforded him a degree of respect in the veteran community. Visibly, he appeared to have come through the Great War largely unscathed. He certainly was well known for his positive, cheerful personality, so what occurred at Keswick Barracks on the 27th of August 1931 remained something of a tragic mystery. Events began to unfold in the early hours of the 27th of August. A fellow officer, Lieutenant Walter Parker, had been cycling home after a dance when he was struck by a car. Suffering from severe head injuries, Parker was not expected to survive. In an attempt to locate David Twining to inform him of the situation, a watchman at the barracks went into the 27th Battalion's offices at the drill hall shortly after 9am, as he had missed the morning parade. There he discovered a man seated at his desk with a gas ring turned on and overcoat pulled over his head. David Austral Twining was dead. As in so many instances, there had been no outward issues or change in Twining's behaviour or demeanour. It was mentioned that he'd been suffering from the effects of gas poisoning, but that in itself was not enough to push a man to take his own life. While many others have attempted to speculate as to the reasons why he took his own life, the absence of a suicide note means it would be inappropriate and disrespectful to try and follow suit. Strangely, the coroner decided against holding an inquest, and this cause of death was ultimately determined as a suicide. Captain David Austral Twining, MMMC, would leave behind his wife, daughter, and son. He would be 35 years old. He was buried at the West Terrace Cemetery in Adelaide and was conducted with full military honours. One of the pallbearers was Lieutenant Colonel Harry Downs, his commanding officer and fellow 48th Battalion veteran. He wrote an epitaph for the RSL newsletter Reveille, quote, For some people the war ended in 1918, but those of us who understand, the Grim Reaper is still taking his toll, just as surely as he did at Messine or Passchendaele, and to me, Don Aktok, which was Twining's nickname, has gone to join his comrades on Gallipoli and Flanders, killed in action just as surely as if he'd stopped it in the strenuous days of 1914-1918, While we may never know why David Twining enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force at such a young age, he may have believed the Great War was an adventure too grand to miss, or he may have felt that he would never live down the shame of not going. But like for so many, the chances are that he went for no other reason that he believed it was his duty and all the great deeds that he did in the war that was supposed to end all wars was simply his job. And for that we are eternally grateful. 
Now, if you do travel to Canberra, make sure you visit the Australian War Memorial's 1916 section where you'll actually see the Pozier diorama that Charles Bean commissioned in 1928. It was created by Frank Lynch and Louis McGubbin and depicts the events from the summer of 1916 when the Australians captured the crest of the Somme and Quai Ridge beyond Pozier. The terrific bombardments laid down on both sides of the fighting pulverized the countryside, obliterating trenches and burying the troops in the debris. The diorama shows a lunar-like landscape, and in the very center of it shows a three-man Lewis gun team. Only one of them appears to be fully clothed. That man is David Twining. The remaining three men around him are severely wounded. Each of the three figures is missing their jackets and puttees, with the exception of Twining. And if you look closely, you'll see those same leg wrappings wrapped around the wounds of the soldiers around them as they wait for the coming attack. And that, folks, is the life, service, and legacy of Captain David Austral Twining, Military Medal, Military Cross. Catch you next time, friends. Bye. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job Australia's Military History Podcast, a Doc Network production. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gangdangara people whose elders have passed on knowledge for thousands of years, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was written, researched, produced, directed, and audio engineered by me, Ross, with additional research done by Laurie Favell of My Silent Hero. If you do know someone whose story needs to be told, feel free to leave a comment on an episode or send us an email at IWasOnlyDoingMyJobPod at gmail.com. If you like what we do here and you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is share this with a friend or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform as it really helps others find the show. And if you want to join in on the conversation, join us over on Discord. And if you want more content, including show notes, photos, transcripts, and my various adventures finding memorials dotted around Australia, head over to our website at www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on all our social media pages at IWODMJ. Don't worry, there are links to everything in the show notes. Join me personally for more bite-sized history over on TikTok and pretty much everywhere else at Doc Winters. All opinions expressed in this episode are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of any entity, agency, or organization. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.